Hi everyone, this is Sarah. This time on Schoolgia, learn along with Chad and Clint about homecoming trivia. Enjoy an impactful conversation about concussions and hear about the latest in their lives in Dad Chat. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm Clint, recording from the seemingly endless summer of Roanoke, Virginia. And I'm Chad, bringing you the news from the last vestiges of dry weather in Astoria, Oregon. And this is Schooledia, the podcast where two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses talk across the country about their combined 30-plus years of education experiences. And anything else we feel like talking about, we are running out of ideas. (laughs) The goal is to make a podcast that teachers, and everyone else, tell your friends, find as fun and interesting as the teacher's lounge during lunch, but without the complaining. Teachers don't complain. We just endlessly share our opinions about anything and everything to whomever is around, whether they are listening or not. We don't care. Hey, it's fall. It's football season, and that can only mean one thing. Time for leaf peeping? Yep, but also, it's homecoming season. Crazy dress-up days, gender-bending competitions, dances, parades, football games. It's all part of the high school experience. But as longtime teachers, we got to wondering why do we do all of this where did homecoming even come from so we did what any good nerds would do we researched it and made up a game about it we will each ask two multiple choice questions about something that has to do with the rituals of homecoming and whoever answers the most questions correctly is the winner clint since you won last time we did this you asked the question first all righty question number one according to the ncaa trivial pursuit and jeopardy the university of missouri holds the title of the first official homecoming game in 1911. Which of the following traditions were not started with this celebration? A. A spirit rally. B. A homecoming king and queen. C. A parade. D. A bonfire. Ah, man. And I'm basing all of this off of Wikipedia. So hopefully Wikipedia is right. All right. So here's what I'm thinking. I feel like, a re- I th- you know, with the research I did and stuff too, it seems like the homecoming is about bringing people back into town and mm-hmm. also being excited about the big game. So I think the one thing that probably makes the least sense for any of those would be the king and queen. So I'm going to go with that. Yes, you are correct, sir. Awesome. Yeah, that wasn't started until the 1930s, according to what I read. All right, so I'm 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 one for one. This is exciting. This is yeah, nice job. This, I'm already better than I was last time. <laughs> Here's my question for you. So Baylor University claims to have one of the earliest traditions of a homecoming bonfire, but what was the purpose for their very first one? Was it a exercising a long-held belief in the South that a large fire would ward off the bad luck the football team had endured the previous week when they lost to SMU 49 to 3? Is it B to safeguard the campus from crosstown rivals Texas Christian University? Is it C to help illuminate after dark festivities after a football victory over Texas A&M? Or is it D to burn the jerseys and equipment stolen? from upcoming foe, University of Texas. Oh, I'm just glad it doesn't involve anything like with the KKK. (laughs) That's my first thought. I don't think that there's like an evil spirit that's haunting the school. So I'm going to take that one out. I'm going to go with just illuminating nighttime festivities. I think that they did it so that they could see what was going on. That's what I'm, that's my final answer. (laughs) Dang it. The first bonfire was to safeguard the campus from their crosstown rivals, <laughs> Texas Christian, as they were concerned that those wily buggers were going to come over there and do something to their campus. <laughs> That's very silly. 
Okay, question number two. Oh, man, I really hope you missed this one. Thanks. The homecoming tradition started in universities but then moved down to high schools and by the 1950s was an ingrained rite of passage for most teenagers. By far, the most important and memorable portion of the tradition was the homecoming dance held on the night after the football game or on the next Saturday. Which of these is a real 1950s dance move? Is it A, the doo-wop, B, the drop step, C, the stroll, or D, the mashed potato. Um, doo-wop sounds like just everything you're doing in 1950s. <laughs> Whether you're talking to your neighbor or uh, buying a soda. <laughs> Down at the soda shop. So I'm going to set that one aside. I mean, I know that the mashed potato is a move, but I don't know if you're going to try to get me here with like decades. Man, the stroll sounds like something you do in the 1950s. All right. You know, just because I recognize it and I'm thinking maybe you gave me an easy one, I'm going to go with the mashed potato. <laughs> No! That is from the 1960s. <laughs> Dang it. Should have gone with my gut. Yeah, the stroll was the correct answer. Oh, I even talked that one out. Dang it. Okay, so I still got a fighting chance. I, I really tried to do some research on football because that's obviously a big part of the homecoming week. And I wasn't able to find any like really interesting, unique facts about the connection with football and the homecoming. But I did find some pretty interesting football history. So here's a question for you about the penalty flag. Okay. They didn't originally start playing football with penalty flags. The first one was thrown not until 1941. So the question for you, Clint, is prior to the penalty flag... How did officials indicate a rules infraction had been committed? Is it A, the official would wave his arm from side to side until the play was over? B, the official would drop a large white stone on the ground? C, the official would blow a horn attached to his wrist? Or D, the official would repeatedly yell the type of infraction until the play was over? (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of somebody just yelling. False start, false start, false start. That's my favorite of the answers, but I don't think it's right, which means it probably is, and I'm going to feel stupid. (laughs) Let's see. I don't think that they're going to be carrying around big old stones. That seems difficult. If you're running around trying to keep up with the plays, that seems hard. I'm going to go with that they just wave their arms. I think it's arm waving. Final answer. Dang it. They yelled. No, I'm kidding. They blew a horn. They had an... They had a horn attached to their wrist. In some cases, it was actually a second whistle that sounded different, but usually it was a horn. And the problem was players had a very difficult time discerning between the two, between a whistle and a horn. So oftentimes half the players would stop play. It was a big mess until one day an official whose wife was watching suggested that he throw a flag and she sewed him up a nice little flag. He took it to his next game and the uh, penalty flag was born. A horn? They were dumb. Weren't they? Like we make fun of officials now for not being too bright but that's dumb i'm sorely disappointed but congratulations man you won thanks man cool well that was fun that was fun hey do you know any of you out there do you know any fun homecoming trivia that you'd like to share shoot us an email at schooljapodcast.com or post it on our facebook page at schooljapod let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors If you work in a middle or high school, and if you've ever had to plan or chaperone a dance, you know the entire process can be a real drag. First, you have to publicize the event and sell tickets. Then you have to hire a DJ and decorate, which can be time-consuming and expensive. Finally, you have to find adults willing to volunteer three hours on a Saturday night to keep an eye on a bunch of crazed teenagers. Teaching is tough enough. Who needs this added stress? That's why the people at Robotonics developed the Dance Partner 3000, the all-in-one robot that plans 
plans and executes school dances almost entirely without the need of a human adult. The dance partner comes ready to work right out of the box. Simply turn it on, choose from one of the 1,000 pre-programmed dance themes, and watch it get to work. Dance Partner 3000 efficiently completes the unwanted tasks of advertising, ticket sales, decorating, and even cleanup. Better yet, Dance Partner is fully equipped with a state-of-the-art speaker system and dance club quality strobes and lighting. Plus, it adapts to the latest music trends and your audience to give your school dance a rockin' DJ experience. Worried about student behavior? The Dance Partner 3000 is programmed to break up inappropriate student dancing, call parents when students misbehave, and is even equipped with its own breathalyzer and drug identification technology to keep your school functioning clean, sober, and fun. Check out these real examples of the Dance Partner 3000 at work. What's up, y'all? Welcome to prom 2018. Who's ready to party? Excuse me, you two. Your dancing is grossing everyone out. Please stop. Hello, Mrs. Jones. This is the Dance Partner 3000. Your son came to the dance wasted, and he is going to jail. Thank you. Good night. So next fall, when your school prepares for the annual homecoming dance, discover the peace of mind that comes with the Dance Partner 3000 and get your Saturday nights back. And we're back. As you may have heard me mention in previous episodes, I'm an assistant coach for Astoria High School's football team. And as a coach and a teacher, I am becoming increasingly aware of one of the main dangers of participation in football and other sports, concussions. Since high school life for many kids revolves around athletics, we thought this would be a good time to talk about the risks of concussions, how coaches work to prevent their players from getting them, what we do in the classroom for those students who are dealing with them, and then the most contentious issue of all, should kids be playing contact sports like football at all? It's a troubling issue in education to be sure, so we feel it's important for us to discuss it here. But please note, we are not brain surgeons. No one has ever accused us of that, Chad. (laughs) Rightly so. But we do want to make clear that while we have received concussion training at our jobs, we are in no way experts. These opinions are our own, and any advice we might give should be taken with a grain of salt. In other words, please don't sue. Correct. So to start us off, let's just quickly define what a concussion is for those people who don't know, and then we can talk about some of the symptoms we might see in a student who's suffering from one. I did a little bit of research, and I went to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, and they have a flyer all about concussions. This information that I'm going to give you here is actually quoted word for word. So they say, a concussion is a type of traumatic brain injury, or TBI, caused by a bump, blow, or jolt to the head, or by a hit to the body that causes the head and brain to move quickly back and forth. This fast movement can cause the brain to bounce around or twist in the skull, creating chemical changes in the brain and sometimes stretching and damaging the brain cells. I remember watching a Mythbusters episode once, and they went and talked to an actual brain surgeon and asked what the consistency of the brain was like when it's still in your head. And the surgeon said, it's very much like jello. So they made a brain out of jello, and then they put it in a clear plastic container. And then when they would hit it with things, that brain would be sloshing all over the place. And they asked the surgeon, is this fairly accurate? And the guy was like, yeah, that's what happens. Like it really put into relief just how much damage could possibly happen to you your brain as it's getting slammed around from one side of your skull to the other. Also from the CDC, talking a little bit about symptoms of concussions, might be headache or pressure in the head, nausea or vomiting, balance problems or dizziness, double vision or blurred vision, uh, bothered by light or noise, feeling sluggish, hazy, foggy, or groggy. I don't know if there's a difference between those. (laughs) Confusion or concentration or memory problems, just not feeling right or feeling down, mood, behavior issues, uh, and personality changes. Now, I'm 
pretty sure I had those symptoms in high school, whether I had a concussion or not. <laughs> That's like true. A lot of those things seem pretty general. When you suspect that a kid has a concussion, what, what do you guys do? The first part of it is, is, you know, you usually have to have some idea that there was some sort of contact. I mean, sometimes you can see it, you know, I mean, we've seen some pretty rough ones in, in games and practices where a kid has a hard time standing up or once they get up, they're having balance issues. And then the first thing we do is when they come to the sidelines, we have a conversation with them and ask them some questions and start with that process to see if there's anything that just seems unusual. But like you said, there's a lot of high schoolers that just kind of have like foggy, hazy, groggy personalities anyway, or confusion. Right. They have mood issues. Yeah. I mean, part of it is knowing your kid so that you kind of have a baseline idea of, is this unusual for them? Right. And I probably got one concussion. The best I can remember, because, you know, I was a little hazy, my coach kind of let me rest a few plays until I kind of got my head back in the game. And then he sent me back out to continue playing. Did you have that same kind of thing or were your coaches more cautious? You know, even my first few years of coaching, so not really until probably the last eight to 10 years, has this really been an issue? Now that I know what these symptoms are and what a concussion is, I, I can recall a few times where I definitely had concussions. Probably the worst one I ever had was when I was a middle school kid. It was a severe concussion. I remember coming home and being super confused and crying, but not because I was hurt. It was scary. Yeah. But in terms of football, you're you're right. I mean, and I don't even think it was like the whole tough guy club thing as much as just people not understanding it or people saying, well, this is kind of part of football. You know, people would always say, well, you got your bell rung a little bit. You just would kind of shake it off and keep going. And of course, that was before we had this understanding of what was really happening there. I, I do want to talk a little bit about kind of what we do differently now. Yeah, what do you do? You know, I am speaking as a football coach and I obviously football is at the center of this for obvious reasons, but I think it should be noted all sports, you're seeing an increase in the awareness of concussions. So what has changed, you know, for football coaches is number one, our training, not just to recognize and to know when a kid should not be going back out there, but um, also the way we teach tackling has changed a lot. It used to always be get your head on the ball and, and then they kind of move to keep your head up and now they've really moved to emphasizing shoulder tackling it used to always be if a player was running to your left you would try to get your head and your body in front of that player and now that's actually changed to where we're trying to actually keep our head behind the ball carrier and, and just using our shoulders and the rest of our body so that's that's probably the big thing and then just like i said at the beginning the awareness of it is so much more prominent in that if you see a kid that in any way looks looks not right, you're just on it right away. You, you pull the kid out, figure out what's going on with them and figure out if they're okay. Coaches are, are really looking forward and, and much more concerned about, you know, making sure kids are, are, are being safe. When a kid does get a concussion, because it does happen, that also changes what we have to do in the classroom to, to help them because their brain has changed a little bit and we have to help them get back into it. And I've had kids who've had multiple concussions, um, like kind of one on top of another. This is especially when we were just starting to learn about how serious they were and recognizing that, oh my gosh, this kid that I thought wasn't very bright was pretty severely concussed and we had to adjust all of the things that we that we do. What are some of the things that you do when you've got a kid who's who's got a concussion? Kids that sustain concussions go through a, a protocol. And we should probably mention for those that don't know, all students who play sport take what's called an impact test. And that's kind of a baseline processing tool to see how well their, their brain's working. So they take this when they're healthy. So when they have concussions, they can come back and retake it to kind of see where they're at in terms of their brain healing. We have a trainer who meets with any kid who's going through the 
concussion protocol. And then he will forward information to us in terms of where the student is in that process. So a lot of times the initial stages, kids are pulled from school, no screens. And then as they work through the protocol, they can sometimes get you know a little bit more work. And it's kind of a process of weaning them back into full school mode. A lot of our kids maybe will do a half a day or a half a period, and then they'll go to the office for the rest of the period. Sometimes the instructions are they shouldn't be reading from our textbook. So I make extra big copies of the assignment so they don't have to read small print. Usually it's just kind of a slow process, just like you would with a knee injury or anything else of starting with simpler tasks that are not as strenuous on the brain and the eyes, and then trying to get back into full go mode. What about you? It's very similar. One of the biggest things is because we are asked and actually tasked as teachers to include technology as much as possible is that no screens rule. When you have a student who needs to be writing a paper or needs to be doing research or other things that are genuinely educational and they're supposed to be using a screen to do it, it can be challenging. And I know that in the past what I've had to do is rethink those kinds of questions and do some of the research for them and have it printed out so that then they can just go through it. And also really just adjusting timelines. Like if you have a big project that's due and it's supposed to take the student students two weeks to do it, a student with a concussion might need a month or more to accomplish that same task. And you almost have to create an individual study program for each student. It's almost like they have their own class. And that can be challenging, especially when you're teaching freshmen, because they can be a little bit less mature and less understanding of everybody has their own circumstances. When they look over, well, how come Sally doesn't have to do all of this stuff? Well, because Sally was in the soccer game and got her head kicked (laughs) and she can't think this way anymore. But you can't tell the kids what's going on. It's just frustrating as a teacher to try to make sure everything is equitable while at the same time taking care of your students who need that extra help. I also sometimes am concerned that uh, sometimes it's being taken advantage of a little bit. The easier assignments, the smaller assignments, man, if you can make those go a few extra weeks, that's kind of a nice thing too. So it is nice to be getting those reports from our trainer to where you can say, actually, you get your full assignments back now. So that's really good. Good for you. You know, I'm glad you're getting better. (laughs) So let's get back to work, please. Maybe it would be easier for teachers to recognize this if we had kids with concussions wear one of those like cartoon head bandages (laughs) Um, and we could like draw little stars or little birds that like- I think we should do that. Look like they're floating around their head. You could really just make it into a hat that just sits on top, but it looks like that. Yeah. You just wear your concussion cap and then we'd all know, okay, you get these different assignments and, and then everybody else can be like, oh yeah, she's got a concussion. Okay. I'm glad I don't have to wear that dumb hat. I'll do extra work so I don't wear that dumb hat. Maybe that would solve the problems. So especially with the concerns about concussions now, there's a big debate on whether parents should let kids play sports. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know nationwide participation in football is just plummeting right now. It could be connected to all kinds of things. I mean, I know video games are getting really popular and people are arguing that that's taking kids away from sports and things like that. But definitely, I think with football, one of the big reasons for that is this concern about concussions. And I mentioned this in an earlier podcast that I think extracurricular activities and sports are really important. And, you know, as a football coach and a person who loves the sport, I hate to see parents and kids not participating because of that. I certainly understand it. I certainly understand the fear, but I think it's important that people understand A, 
that there's a lot that's being done to help minimize those risks that not only are we trying to minimize the risk, but we're also, there's so much more being done on treatment and awareness and identifying concussions. And I just think, you know, I have three small kids and by the time they are in high school, I think we will know so much more and be more prepared for these things. Obviously they're continuing to improve helmets and equipment and even rules have changed a lot for making sports safer. And I don't know, I have a five-year-old son and someday he's going to have the opportunity to play football. And, and at this point, I would still, if he wanted to, I would still say great. And I encourage him to do it, but I do understand the concerns, but I think the, the message to parents is, you know, there's a lot being done to, to make all the sports that our kids are playing safer. And more importantly, everyone's aware of it now. And, and there's a ton of research going into making things safer. So, um, you know, that would be my, my argument for someone who says, Hey, I don't, I don't want my kid to play sports because of that. And I get those, but I do think it's important that parents are really, really cautious about this and take concussions really seriously because most kids, it's not the one big hit necessarily that is the problem. It's the repeated little hits, little mini concussions over and over and over again can add up to be something big. And with little kids, they're developing so much. Their brains are changing so much as they grow that it can cause long-term life-altering damage if kids and parents aren't cautious. And I know that there's kind of this controversial nanny state, like we're trying to make the world way too safe for our kids and we should allow them to experience a little bit of danger so they know their limits. And I agree with those things, but I think we have to be really careful because the, I looked it up because I can't remember what it stands for, but the CTE issue that we're seeing in some of our NFL players and boxers, and then even just folks that played in high school, CTE stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Nikki will make fun of me for not being able to say it. Just stick with CTE. Yeah, CTE. Right, there's a reason why they call it CTE. Right. It can cause huge personality changes and basically brain damage. My son is in high school and as much as I loved high school sports, part of me is kind of glad that he was never that interested in playing full-on contact sports. I'm glad that my daughters have never been that interested in soccer and that Misha plays volleyball. Ty did cross country and kind of those things that give you all the benefits of being an athlete, getting all of the exercise, teamwork, and the responsibility that is required, but without necessarily all of the danger. It just really makes me nervous when I see especially like little kids out in their ill-fitting football uniforms. They're like eight years old running around banging into each other and just thinking, oh, we don't know what's going on inside that little skull of theirs. While I think that we are smarter about it than we used to be, I would caution people to pay close attention to their children as they're, if they choose to have them participate. You know, and I think no matter what side of the aisle you are on, I think the one thing that you can't do is say, well, I did it and I'm fine. Or we never worried about this. And so I don't know why we all are now. That's just a ignorant way of thinking because not everyone is fine. And you played football in high school. I played football. I know I had some concussions. I feel like I'm fine, but it would be naive and ignorant of me to say, well, I'm fine. So I have no problem with my kid playing. I mean, I'm a football coach. It would be easy for me to say, I coach football. I see this all the time. Kids are fine. We know better now. And we do know that these things are real and with more knowledge comes a greater responsibility. Not to be too hyperbolic, but that would be like somebody of our parents' generation saying, well, I smoked in high school and I have turned out fine, so you go ahead. There is danger and risk involved and you need to be able to evaluate that risk. Well, I think that just about covers it in this hard-hitting concussion discussion. Oh, 
I love puns and rhymes. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts or insights about concussion risks? Contact us on Facebook or Twitter at School Japod. Or send us an email at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. And now another word from our sponsor. Today's episode of School ja is brought to you by Standard Scan. Other than meetings, the biggest waste of a teacher's time is the creation of lesson plans. I don't mean figuring out how to present a topic in a fun and exciting way. For many teachers, that's the best way to spend an afternoon. Good teachers spend nearly every waking hour thinking about how a clip from the latest episode of New Amsterdam could be used to explain hospital ethics in a health class, or how the swings a physics teacher is pushing their kids on could make an interesting lesson on momentum. What they don't spend all their time thinking about is the state-mandated standards. But that's okay. With Standard Scan, they no longer need to. Standard Scan is a program that reads your loosely developed plans, figures out what standards your lesson covers, and puts everything into a perfectly formatted lesson plan ready to be submitted to administration. It's a snap, so don't spend time stressing about standards. Let us deal with them for you, and you get back to what really matters, figuring out how to make the latest Pixar movie fit with your curriculum. Standard Scan, fixing your lessons so you have time to fix your life. Welcome back. Now that we're nearly at the end of the show, it's time for our favorite segment, Dad, Dad Chat. Chat. That's right. It's time for us to brag about what is happening in our lives that's making us happy. Clint, you go first. So I don't know about anybody else out there in the world, but I am finding the news a difficult thing to watch. I think probably on either side of the aisle, politically, you might be feeling a little bit of stress and a little bit of tension. I certainly am. And thankfully, there is an escape for me. And that escape for me has been the show The Good Place on Netflix. I know it's on NBC and the third season has started. I just recently got to watch the second season. For those of you that don't know, The Good Place is about four different people that uh, have all died and they all go to the good place, not the bad place. And while they're at the good place, one of them is concerned because she's kind of figuring out that there's a mistaken identity and she's not supposed to be there. Oh. And so she's trying to learn how to be a good person in the good place. And it's super funny. It stars Kristen Bell from... Frozen? Yep. She's the voice of Anna from Frozen. And she's super funny. One of the big conceits is that when you're in the good place, you can't swear. And so she says things like, this is bullshit. And... <laughs> I can't forking believe this, and it makes me laugh really hard. Uh, but at the heart of this show is just a genuine sweetness. It talks about moral philosophy, about how to be a good person, and it's just something that I think might be missing in many aspects of our world today, and it just brings me a lot of pleasure. So again, if you've not ever seen it, or if you want to just feel better and rewatch it, I would go to Netflix and watch The Good Place, or you can watch it as it comes out on NBC. There's so much good content out there between Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, and it is hard to like watch it all. So I appreciate your suggestions because it helps me filter this a little bit. Well, you're welcome. What have you got? So this podcast is coming out on October 15th, and my little girl, Luca, is turning one in three days. Oh, my goodness. I know when we first started this podcast in February, she was just a few months old, and it's amazing how quickly that first year of life can go. And obviously, we're super busy, and things go fast. And she's talking, she's saying some words, and she's crawling, and she's close to close to walking, I know. So that's all super exciting, but we are almost birthday buddies. She was born on the 18th of October, and my birthday is the 19th, and we 
were one day away from sharing a birthday together. But it's still pretty cool that we're only one day apart. And what I just love about it is, you know, for the rest of my life, I'll get to kind of share this birthday with my daughter. And even though that means probably not as much birthday fun for Chad, because it'll all be about Luca for the next, you know, however many years, but that's fine with me because it's really cool that I get to share a birthday with my kid. And and that's a pretty special deal. So just want to say happy birthday to Luca. We'll have a a party where she gets to eat cake. Awesome. She'll like that. I think. I would assume. Well, that's very sweet, Chad, but I'm disappointed that you didn't follow my notes and talk about your sexy six-pack. Yeah, I'll save that for some other time. Also, I'll need to get in a time machine and go back about (laughs) 20-some years, but we'll do that at some point. As long as we discuss it. Okay. Fair enough. It needs to be talked Fair enough. And that's our show. You have a question? Know any fun homecoming trivia or have thoughts about football and concussions? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooledyoupodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at schooledyoupod. Follow me on Instagram at chatterboxes. You can also find me on Twitter at Astoria. And don't forget about our website, schooledyoupod.com. The dulcet tones of our intro and outro music were performed by my amazing wife, Nikki. And all our sponsors, they are fake, but our artwork is not. Big thanks to Corey Logan for our fantastic cover design. Find him on Instagram at Corey Logan Art. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon. <laughs>